The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, so we're getting ready to take your calls on 011-714-2006. That's the number to dial, 011-714-2006 on the WhatsApp line. You can get in touch with us on 0614-104-107. So the thinking point today, we're reflecting on two days of evidence of President Cyril Ramaphosa before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. And the president saying quite a lot of things, but wrapping up his, uh, you know, part of his evidence talking about how he's not trying to create a super presidency uh, this is or, or instituting moves towards a dictatorship this is by moving state security to his office he told the commission of inquiry that the aim is to try and uh, realign the purpose of the state security agency and make it nonpartisan and professional. Now, he was asked a number of questions, of course, uh, by uh, several ev- evidence leaders over the past two days. One of the things that the president also spoke quite strongly about was the extent to which it's going to take time to get things in the country working again. And he says, South Africans, although we are open to critique, we are open to give whatever feedback or express whatever emotions we may or feelings we may we may have about the presidency, about the work that is being done, that we shouldn't be unrealistic when it comes to the kind of expectations that we have on how long it's going to take to turn things around. Let's listen to that part of the president's evidence. The process of rebuilding all that, and we've got some really good people in there. We've got to rebuild, repurpose all that. And it is going to take time, I'm afraid. Sometimes as South Africans, we accept, we expect a magic wand, that we will just wave a magic wand and boom, everything will, will, will be you know, as good as we want it to be. It is going to take time because state capture embedded itself in the sinews, in the, in the muscle fiber of, of the state, and, and even change the culture of how things are done, and to, to, to root all that out is going to, I'm afraid, it's going to be a process. But we must stay committed to the task. And sometimes South Africans were filled with doubt and rejection and, and uh, complete opposition even to those who are trying to effect uh, those changes and outright dismissal and criticism. But the work has to be done. Uh, And unless we stay focused on doing the work, all is lost. All right. So that is the perspective of the presidents. Are we being too hard when it comes to the expectations that we have on him? Well, just before uh, the evidence of the president began, we had spoken with uh, Tessa Dooms. She's the director of Jasoro Consulting. Tessa, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Before, before we get into the conversation, Tessa, I just want us to play a clip of what you said on the show, I think about three days ago. At this point, um, questions about Sol Ramaphosa as a, as a politician must include the question, is Soromaposa protecting his own political future? And um, because I want a president, personally, who says, I'm going to make the right decision for the country, even if it means that I lose my job. I want a president who says, 
if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to do right by the country with the power that I have. And um, I don't know that we are, we are ready to ask for that kind of courageous leadership in the country that says, if I think my party is wrong, and I think that this is what's best for the country, even if it means my head goes on the block, I'm going to put my head on the block because it's always nation over country and nation over self. And that's the leadership that I want. So that was Tessa just a couple of days ago, reflecting ahead of uh, the evidence of President Cyril Ramaphosa. Tessa, over the last two days, we've heard a president who says, well, I have been fighting. I have been fighting from within. I have been, you know, choosing my battles and some of which South Africans will never know about. But there shouldn't be an impression that um, I have been part or I have aided and abetted state capture. Your own impressions, reflections on his evidence? Yes, I think there were three things that were curious about um, the evidence of the president. Um, the first one was that um, the focus of um, the president's narrative throughout was more about telling us about the future than the past. In an inquiry that was trying to understand what had happened, the president used every opportunity to tell us what he thinks will happen going forward. And that, for me, felt disingenuous. It felt um, less like an engagement with the process and more like an opportunity to create a political narrative. The second thing that was um, curious was the president's, um, you know, there, there are certain things you expect somebody who was sitting in a role as a deputy president to know above the average citizen. And really, the majority of the things that the president was willing to tell us are things we already knew. And that, for me, is concerning. Because I cannot um, reconcile myself with the idea that the president only knew what we knew. And you would have expected that the two days of talking about what he calls resistance, not even fighting, resistance, would then include several instances of things that we didn't know about. I mean, the idea, and that's the third anomaly, that, um, you know, there's, there are many battles I fought that you're never going to know about. When you're sitting in the chair of an inquiry that's trying to help us understand what happens, means either that he really doesn't know um, or that he doesn't want to take the country into his confidence about what happened because he's protecting himself or others. And that was the point I was trying to make the other day, is that the president gave us the impression that you know he needed to save his job and his political career for the for the good of the country but that doesn't give me comfort because that means either there's no one else in the ANC who could have followed him up if if president Zuma did fire him and continue that fight which is a problem but it also means that we are now beholden to one person otherwise the whole country goes up in flames which i also think is a dangerous narrative the the insights by way of just what the president was saying and the answers he was giving about what is going on in the ANC and the extent to which there is still very much ongoing factional battles that are taking place and how those translate themselves 
into the running of government and into the running of the state. How much of a concern is that for you? It's one thing for the party to have its internal squabbles. I imagine every organization has its politics. But to the extent that the country is taken on as and is brought on into those squabbles, how much of that is concerning to you? It's very concerning because what the one thing the president's evidence did tell us is that uh, the ability to, to govern well has been constricted by the ANC and its internal battles. The, imbil- the ability to hold each other accountable is highly constrained by what it is that they are um, squabbling about within the party. And so, again, we are at the mercy of the ANC. We are, the majority of the country is not politically aligned, yet we sit on the outside and we are now sure that what happens within the Thule House is um, hampering the ability for people to get services delivered, and there's nothing that we can do about it. And that's why the questions about our political system are so important, because this is an untenable situation, especially in a context where you have a party who doesn't seem to know how to hold itself and each other to account. Tessa, we're going to continue our conversation in a bit. I'll also be taking your calls on 11 It's just gone 9.30. Luyanda Maume is standing by with your latest headlines. CFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. We're live on the talking point and we continue with our thinking point today. We're speaking to the director of Jasoro Consulting, Tessa Dooms, and I'll be taking your calls shortly. We're reflecting on two days of evidence by President Cyril Ramaphosa before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. One of the things that President Ramaphosa seemed to be quite vehement about, Tessa, was the fact that even though state capture existed, he would have us believe that state capture has come to an end. But in the same breath, he says that these people who formed part of the state capture network that were appointed to several positions to serve whatever interests, whether business or political, remain in those positions in the state. It is going to take time to get rid of those people. So can we then truly say that the capture of the state has come to an end? That depends on how you define state capture. And I think that we've fallen into a trap of narrowly defining state capture around the Gupta family. Mm. And that, uh, that's a concern. State capture is about the repurposing of the state for personal gain. And there are many instances and many ways in which that can happen that have nothing to do with the Gupta family. Um, And it's not only about the people who were associated with the Gupta family that we need to ask questions about, but the entire modus operandi of how the state runs, how parties run, the kind of political financing that parties get and what kind of rent-seeking can happen through that, um, the extent to which um, ministers or or other people are operating um, on behalf of interests that are unknown um, to the general public, all of those are elements of state capture. And, I mean, I asked this question yesterday on Twitter, and somebody just asked, you know, we're asking about when state capture ended, but when did it begin? The truth is we're not being um, politically honest about the idea that state capture isn't this moment in time for nine years. That state capture is something we need to think about as pervasively across 
um, government, and even in the Zondo Commission. Um, we, we started talking about state capture activities um, or activities that are being considered as state capture that long preceded um, Jacob Zuma. We talk about the Busasa um, dealings. That doesn't only talk about Jacob Zuma's presidency. And um, in the same breath, we're talking about companies like McKinsey, who've been doing business with government for years before Jacob Zuma um, comes into the picture and the Guptas come into the picture. So we must not be um, narrow in thinking that state capture is about the Guptas, and then we'll be able to see that state capture may not only have not ended yet, but may have started long before we started calling it that. Has the president answered questions satisfactorily, in your view, in terms of some of the things that fall directly under his ambit as president of the country and his ability to influence and, quite frankly, take decisive action um, in, 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 in charting South Africa on a better path? When it comes to the things that um, were under his admit as deputy president during the time that's under review, um, I don't think that he was satisfactory in the sense that the one thing the president didn't do throughout was um, name names. And I found that to be really strange, is that the president wouldn't even name the name of the former president himself unless really pushed to do so. And that was disconcerting because I didn't feel like we got a clear account and a clear picture in our minds of where he was at any given moment in any of these things. Um, it just it, it boggles the mind that the president would pick up the phone and call Jesse Duarte after the finance minister in 2015 was, um, was fired um, and say that I'm going to resign and not pick up the phone and actually call his boss and do that. So there are many unanswered questions about his time as deputy president. But again, the other thing was, even now, he's president of the country. Maybe as deputy president, he was worried of being fired. What is he worried about now when he is not only president of the country, but he's still president of the party? Mm-hmm. And seemingly his political power has ascended in the last few months. And yet we still have a president who seems to be walking on tenterhooks. Just before I let you go, Tessa, when we look at the finaling, uh, or rather the final brief of, of the president, the statement he made before the commission, um, he is quite hopeful. He's quite optimistic about what the future of this country might be. When you look at the actual balance of forces, if I can put it that way, within the ANC and the extent to which he very much seems to be tiptoeing around a lot of things and a lot of people, do you have confidence in in, in that picture of, of hope? The reason why my confidence in that picture of hope is low um, is because the president tiptoeing um, and also telling us that, you know, he needed to stay and people need to stay in order to fix things. And if they go, you know, there will be this calamitous outcome. Um, really says to us that the ANC lacks depth of leadership and that he doesn't trust that if he wasn't there, that there would be other um, competent and capable leaders within the ANC who would be able to step up. And and that, that should concern us um, in and, and make us ask questions about where is our politics? You know, we have a party system so that we don't have to rely on individuals. But here we are as a country, seemingly um, at the, really at the reliance and the mercy 
of a few individuals who feel like if they do what they believe their conviction tells them to do or what's mm. right for the country, then they will not succeed and we will all fail. That's a very, very tentative situation for all of us and not one that I think um, will take us well far into the future. Tessa, we're going to leave it there for this morning. Thank you so much for coming onto the show, uh, reflecting then on the thinking point for this morning. I'm going to take your calls. Let me kick it off in the um, the capital city in Pretoria. Jack, good morning. It's a pity this Tessa is going somewhere else now. Oh, did you want yeah, to engage her? Yeah, because okay. yeah, let, let her come. Yeah. No, no, no problem, Jack. Um, okay. I think maybe let's let's try and get Tessa back up on the line. Uh, yeah, listener wants to engage with her. Yeah. Jack, just hold yeah. on, yeah. just just hang on. Right. Uh, stay on the line for me. We'll take a couple of WhatsApp voice notes as we try and bring Tessa back up. Okay. Okay. SAFM, I am very impressed with Ramaphosa. Very hopeful as a young leader. He has awakened a leader in me. You know, at some point, I thought these guys, they are playing with our hearts and minds. But I think he has a plan for this corruption. And if he could listen to us, I myself alone think I have a plan to root them out, ban the web of corruption. Thank you. This is Abongile in Transkai. Good morning, Kathy. This is Joshua from Kebeha. Um, President Ramaphosa violated his oath of office. And this need to be the discussion especially amongst political parties. He violated the oath of office. According to him, he had been watching, uh, fully aware of the extent of state capture, but kept quiet for years. Where is the morality in that? Where is the leadership in that behavior? Thank you. All right. Those are just some of your reflections. Well, he uh, he said he, he was speaking within the party, maybe not so much publicly, but within the party. Is that good enough in your view? Uh, Tessa, I understand we have you back up on the line. Jack wanted to engage with you. Jack in Pretoria, good morning. Morning, Kathy. Morning, <laughs> Tessa. Morning. Yeah, you see, I've got a challenge with your ideas there. When this country is in a mess because of one person called the root and these apartheid views, and now you're talking about Ramaphosa thinking he's the only man, in any historical moment, one person will emerge. And uh, you worried about state capture. We, we, we are worried as, as South Africans, as blacks are South Africans, about country capture. There, there seems to be no awakening of the conscience to say, even now, as uh, some white people know they are comfort, comfortable in their zones to say, black people, can we come and talk about the land that was stolen from you as black people? So this thing of moralizing now, we're waking up now, we have successive national party uh, politics where the national party broke into 17 different parts with the uh, conservative party and all that. So what, the, what is happening in the ANC? We, we, some of us don't like, but that is exactly what the National Party went through. That's why there's, there's no National Party today. So it does not help you to come and moralize and teach us and uh, lecture to us about uh, what the president is saying. In the voice notes that you had, the majority of the people in this country, of which I'm one, we are happy with what the president is doing. So your view is a minority view. It should remain as such. You see, you, you cannot come and influence us that way. And, and the one thing that I want to end up with is that uh, many of the people like yourself who are in the consulting business, that was spoken about yesterday, you say, 
we are in this mess because government cannot employ people because of consultancy. So you are in one of that space where you are consulting. You will not be happy. I expect that, obviously. But let me give you a chance to respond. So, hi, Tessa, are you, are you still on? Yes, I am. Hi. Yes, you, you, can, you can respond to what Jack is saying. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I think clear. the... Thanks, Jack. So I think the idea about, you know, every historical moment has one person. Um, that's, that's the way history tells the story around the central, a central figure. But even if we talk, to, talk about um, the kind of iconic moment around Nelson Mandela and the Rainbow Nation... We know that the liberation struggle was about more than one figure. We know that there was a complex of people um, in leadership and of people in communities um, that, changed, that changed the course of history. And you would hope that the same is true now, that we're not reliant on one figure being present in the room or one figure being present in a, in a position in order for things to go well. And especially when you hold the value of a party, the idea that um, there's, there's an entire, you know, organization um, behind this person. This person represents the organization um, is rather than the organization being um, beholden and dependent on him. And that, that's what the narrative in the last few days um, concerning Lee Swartz is the idea that, you know, it's, it's sort of a posa or bus, as opposed to that the ANC, um, he represents the hopes, the dreams, the vision, and um, the competence or capability of the organization and many people like him as opposed to one person. If that's not the case, then we don't need the ANC. We just need Toro Ramaphosa. And I think that that's worth um, thinking about. Um, and, and yes, it m- I might be a minority view. We actually don't know that. Um, the reason why I say that is because there are so many people disenchanted in this country um, about um, politics. And we see that by the, the number of people not coming up to vote not participating in the in the process, and so I might be a minority view, but we really actually don't know that, and I don't mind being a minority view even if I am, because minority views help us um, keep aware, alert and aware about what it is that we may not be thinking about. The majority um, uh, principle, the majority is right principle, hasn't always worked in all contexts in history, and it's important that we have dissenting voices that at least help us um, pick our consciences. And um, I, I think I want to say something about the consulting thing because it's something that I that I really take seriously. Um, I don't do consulting for government exactly for this reason, because we don't want to get into um, a situation in this country where the state has outsourced its thinking um, to people like me. What you do want is people like me and other people in this country to um, have a buy-in to wanting to contribute our views, our thoughts, our abilities, and our, uh, our competencies to the country and, and the future of this country um, without having to charge it an arm and a leg to do so. Katie, let right. me respond. Uh, there was a time that Nelson Mandela in prison says to us in his book, Law Works to Freedom, that there's a time that he moved away from the ANC and said, let me make decisions about this country. So there's nothing wrong. We expect more people like Mandela, more people like President Ramaphosa to say, it is all or nothing now, and I'm going to make a decision away from, even away from my party. 
So I'm not sure if, if she knows that. Uh, if she knows okay, that. Jack, it wasn't meant to be a, a, a two-way conversation between you and Tessa. I thought you just wanted to engage her once off on some issues, but I think I've given you a platform to actually yeah, uh, put put what you had wanted to put uh, to Tessa. Yeah. Uh, Tessa, I'm going to ask you to stay on the line because I don't know if any of the other guests that uh, are coming up will actually maybe want to want to engage with you as well. So please, uh, if you sure. can, if you if you if you'll indulge me, uh, just by staying on the line. Uh, Tukolo in Harry Smith. Good morning, Tukolo. Good morning, ma'am. How are you again? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? I am not all right. Mm. I'm not all right. You, you know, I, I'm quite confused now. I don't know what more do you want from our president. Because our president, he did the right thing to come to Zondo to explain his side. Mm. But still, people are still not satisfied. What more do you want from the president? I, I, I don't understand. Because now, he, he did try to explain a lot of things that sometimes he was quiet because of he was trying to save his job. But still, people are not satisfied. It's much better because he went there and, and, and explained his side of the story. What about those who didn't went, go there and explain the, the side of their story? All right. So, Tukulo, as far as you are concerned, then, you are satisfied with the, the commission and how the president's evidence has gone? Yes, I'm 100% satisfied. Mm, mm. I'm 100% satisfied because he, he, the, our president, he did say the right thing. He did attend the commission, uh, the commission of Zondo. So wh- what more What more people want from uh, our president? Okay. I, I don't understand. All right. I don't understand really. All right, Sokolo, thanks for calling in. Uh, thank you very much. From Harry Smith there. And, uh, of course, he's, it's a more of a rhetorical question uh, that Sokolo is putting to us. Arwani, you're in Protea Glen. Arwani, good morning uh, to you. Katie, how are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Do you have electricity this morning in Protea Glen? I, I have. I'm not nice. I have. Exception uh, 28. I'm always having electricity. Okay, that's awesome. We pay, we pay electricity. <laughs> oh, Aruan, uskato matele, uskato matele. Hey, go for it. Um, you know what, Tukepi? I I don't know what people want actually. You know, everyone will have his or her opinion over what the president said, over what the president is doing. And now the president came, and he didn't come when he came to the, the, the commission and say. This one I won't answer. He tried to answer as far as he understands things, as far as, and even said, you know, I didn't resign because I wanted to save my job. And, uh, and uh, I think the president is on the right direction. And uh, if it was, if he didn't do that, if we had Kosovo as a president, we should have, the country should have continued with the shenanigans which were happening. And I'm saying he did well by not resigning, and he addressed things inside the ANC. Although, I mean, the time that was addressing things, as he said, I want an ANC person who would come and defeat and say he didn't address things inside the ANC. Mind you, the president had the power of many things. Whether appointing the minister do what, whether, when he wanted to, to reshuffle the cabinet, they would give him these advices. President Zuma, and former President Zuma, will not take them and do what he wanted to do, which satisfied him. Now, I mean, people have opinions about the president. We won't be satisfied, all of us, but me, personally, I think he's doing well.
Okay. Arwani out in Protea Glen. Thanks for that call. In Mangweng, let me go to John. John, good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm all right, John. Good. Is your guest still there? Yes, yes, Tessa is still on the line, John. Yeah, okay, it's fine. Uh, Look, I think uh, analysis of of Tessa is is, is unfortunate because I, I don't know what really people are looking for. The president is trying to fix what the mess that we were in that was caused by Jacob Zuma and, and, and the Guptas. Now, she's trying to explain to us or try to give us an explanation of a state capture, trying to cover Jacob Zuma to say that Jacob Zuma did not do it. What is Tesla trying to achieve with that kind of an analysis, saying that uh, uh, the, 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 the capture that, that, we, that, is having, that you are having a problem now with it was not caused by Jacob Zuma? What is she saying? I think I think we got a problem in South Africans. President Cyril Ramaphosa is trying to fix almost everything that was caused by Zuma and the Guptas. John, but, John, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to pause it there. Just pause it there for me. I've got a break coming up. We'll continue with John, and I'll give Tessa an opportunity to respond. I think there's also one question that uh, I want to put to John as well. So uh, let's take a quick break. We'll continue with the talking point after this. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. So we continue the conversation on the talking point for our thinking point today. We've been uh, reflecting on the evidence of President Cyril Ramaphosa before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. Tessa Dooms is a director of Jasoro Consulting, and she was uh, reflecting and weighing in for our thinking point. Lots of you to, today wanting to engage her on some of the ideas that she has uh, put forward. Uh, John in Mangwen, you're still on the line. Uh, you can just, if you can just try and keep it a bit brief for me so that I give uh, Tessa uh, an opportunity to respond as well, John? Yeah, I'm saying when, when we should be supporting the president, President Senator Ramaphosa, uh, for, for the job that he's doing to take the country forward and move the country out of all this mm. problem that was caused by the bandits. So, so, so John, now, j- just, before I, j- just before I give Tessa an opportunity to respond, do you believe that state capture or the idea of private interests having influence in the state and being able to ensure that state resources are distributed into the hands of private interests. Do you think that that only began um, under the Jacob Zuma presidency? I think so. It's interesting because when you look at the likes of of organizations such as Open Secrets, you know, the likes of Heni Fan Fearing, they make a different argument. And they've put submissions before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry saying mm-hmm. that state capture, the idea or the notion of state capture itself, in fact, began much longer than just the Jacob Zuma presidency. And they point no. to the arms deal. They point to the arms deal as being, you know, part of the original sin. But they even mm. go further than that. Yeah. They talk about how the democratic state... inherited a culture of capture from the apartheid state because it was unable to break off some of the links that existed Mm -hmm. within the apartheid state that was itself captured by various uh, business interests as well. Mm -hmm. No, I hear you. But look, uh, look, look, look what what am I saying now? I I hear those uh, researchers and whatever. Kevin, my issue is, is this one now. We are now 
having problems in a country now. We mm. are in deep trouble caused by the administration of Jacob Zuma and the Kutas. Why can't we focus on this? We are saying the state was captured during his leadership. So now Silramaposa is trying to correct all that. So when Tesla is saying, actually, this is not a capture, it's not about the, the Guptas, what is she trying to say? Because we are not talking about the leadership of President Jacob Zuma, what, the, what happens into our country, into our economy, into our organization. We blame him as a leader and the decision that he took together with the Guptas. Don't mm-hmm. take us back 100 years back ago because we are trying to shift the focus. The focus now, why the commission is there now, is because of Jacob Zuma okay. and the Guptas. Okay, John, let me give Tessa an opportunity to respond. Tessa? Yes. So John has answered his own question about what I'm saying. It's that Jacob Zuma and his administration are accountable for what happened during those nine years. President Sol Ramaphosa, as deputy president of the country, was a part of that administration. He was not so in John, 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 give Tessa an opportunity to respond. She didn't interrupt you once. Sorry. Sorry. Don't be disrespectful to the guests that we invite on the show, please. President Suramaposa was the second highest in charge. And Judge Zonda asked a very important question yesterday. Is that even if he was fired as deputy president of the country, he would still have been deputy president of the party and no one could have fired him from that. And so it is about accountability. We cannot say that you cannot support and hold accountable at the same time in a democracy. Support does not mean that you do not count. And accountability should not just be that you showed up. And I think we, what, what has happened during the Jacob Zuma era particularly is we have dropped the bar. Because things became so apparently broken, our bar for leadership has become very low. And so we are content with a leader that shows up because we didn't have a leader that showed up. We are content with a leader that just tells us the basics, even though we can ask and we should ask for more. Mine is not to distract or derail President Sir Ramaphosa on his mission. Mine is to say that if President Sir Ramaphosa is to succeed, we need to hold his feet to the fire because leaders require accountability in order to be good, not as just saying, you know, as long as it's not the other guy, as long as you be better than the other guy. When the other guy was as bad as everyone says he is, just being better than the other guy is an easy thing to do. Being actually, you know, different and exceptional is a completely different story. And we should ask for the best, not just for better than. Okay. Enoch in Kempton Park. Good morning, Enoch. How are you? I'm all right, Enoch. Yes. Um, yeah. Look, uh, I I also want to to put in a word there. I listened to what's the name your your speaker there, your guest there. Tessa. Tessa. Um, and I agree with her when she says uh, the president's uh, college testimony was more about uh, what is to be expected in the future, as opposed to you know the history of state capture. And in terms of that, I agree with her. I think uh, that was a little bit unexpected. But where, where I, I, she leaves me uh, confused is where she says, why didn't the president step aside and allow somebody else to come in? Is he saying there's nobody else who could do it in the ANC other than him? And I feel like there she's sort of advocating for a culture of rollover and die and expect the next person to come and take the ball uh, uh, you know, and run forward with it. 
Um, and in which case, what guarantee do we have that the next person wouldn't have done the same thing? I mean, we could have many people coming in and just resigning and walking away. So I, I do feel like she's not giving uh, uh, the president uh, credit in terms of his heroism. I think for him to stick around, uh, even when things were not, uh, you know, as good as he wanted them to be, uh, mm. I think it was a good thing. We, we should be we should be really giving him a, a, a standing ovation for that. Uh, anybody else would have done the easy thing to just walk away, but that is what every every other person would have done. He okay. didn't do that. All right. So the culture of just rolling over and dying, I don't think that's something we want to be promoting in these difficult times. We oh. want people who will, who will die with the ball in their hands. All right, Enoch, thanks for that, for that view. Uh, Zalia in Cape Town. Good morning, Zalia. Hi, good morning, Cathy, and good morning, Tessa. And thank you for allowing me to say a few cents or give a few thoughts. Firstly, I just want to say I agree with Zalia. You sound like you're going to say more. <laughs> you're going to say something more than under thirty seconds. So let's do this. It's ten o'clock. Let me go to the news. Um, okay. I'll, I'll continue with with Zalia after this. Uh, and you know, I must really, really, really apologize for Tessa because we were only scheduled to have her on for about ten minutes this morning, and she's been gracious enough to stay uh, because so many of you have called in saying that you actually want to engage further with her. So we really appreciate it. Luanda Maume standing by with your latest 10 o'clock news. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's seven after ten. Welcome to the second hour of the Talking Point. Uh, of course, we've got plenty still lined up in terms of conversations coming up within this hour, but a bit of spillage or spillover uh, from the Talking Point or from the Thinking Point, rather, for this morning. Uh, Tessa Dooms, Director at Jasoro Consulting, is still on the line. Uh, Zalia will be the final caller that we wrap up with. Zalia in Cape Town, good morning again. And yeah, just quick reflections for me, and I'll also get... Uh, Tessa to respond because you also wanted to engage with her specifically. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Cathy, and good morning, Tessa, and thank you for the opportunity. Firstly, I would like to say that I agree mostly with everything that Tessa said with regards to the leadership, with regards to um, what we now call state capture, but what the economy is calling as rent-seeking is not new. Um, I also agree with you that state capture didn't happen only under the Zuma uh, uh, reign or rule, because he ruled with fear. It happened under apartheid. It happened when uh, Madiba was our president. It also happened when we had um, Mbeki as our president. So it's nothing new. We have casualties from folks in the ANC who spoke up, people to come to mind like Andrew Feinstein, Makozi Koza, or people who were expelled by the ANC for having the guts to stand up and to challenge the immorality of the cadres. The challenge that we have is that why it's such a big thing today for us as a nation is because we had a leader elected twice by the ANC who's got no moral compass, who's got no line, sort of draw a line in the sand, but he couldn't even see that line because there is nothing ethical about Zuma and the people that supported him. Those people are still sitting in our cabinet, are still the ministers who are earning over a million rand in salaries, 
and also Usaro gave an increase because he said they do such sterling work. Meanwhile, our people are dying on the street. My issue with Tessa is around the issue of consultants. I have a company as a consultancy. I do training and development. I work in the public space. And the reason why I work in the public space is because I felt I could add value. Not all, if not everybody that's a consultant is tainted, should be tainted with the same brush. I think that is lazy thinking. And the president has put out a rhetoric that is now being taken up by the public space. But the companies who enabled state capture are the banks, our banks, or companies like EOH. Besides Bethesda, we have the auditing firms, multinational companies, SAP, who have supported and enabled the state capture to happen. But we blame people, young people, ordinary organizations, small companies who are trying to support the effort of the state by providing services. If the ethical cadres or appointees in the public sector have got a code, a moral code, then consultants will not be able to do what has been happening under state capture. But because there is no ethics, it's become the norm. Mm-hmm. I am not one of those consultants who have taken a bribe. I've, st- I've stepped away from jobs where I felt that my integrity is going to be questioned. Mm-hmm. I've never, I haven't made money. I haven't worked in the last two years because of COVID. But I haven't gone out there and tried to do a PPP contract because it's not my competency. Mm-hmm. So I think we should not brush everybody and taught everybody with the same brush. And I would say, I'd say to Tessa, if she's got skills that the state needs, she should not be fearful or scared to go out there and provide the services. We have public officials who are too lazy to do their own work. And I, as a contractor, must come in and manage them to get the work done. It's not because I don't want to, because I want to do better for my community. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Zalia in Cape Town, thank you so much for that call and I think really just for being honest about your own experience as uh, somebody who works in the consulting space. Tessa, let me give you just a minute or two to also uh, reflect on what Enoch had said and what Zalia said. Yeah, so um, I I would never have said roll over and die. If that was what was communicated, absolutely not. For me, the point was that you, even if there's a threat to your job, you do the right thing, and you fight. And the president made a slight distinction between being confrontational and resisting. And I didn't quite throughout understand what the difference between those two would be, except that some things would get you fired. And my point is that sometimes that's what needs to happen. There were many people, especially bureaucrats in the state, who actually did have to do the fighting work that politicians often didn't do and who actually did lose their jobs and their livelihoods. Um, but because they weren't the top politicians, they weren't alarms raised. And so for me, it's not all over and die. It's fight with your boots on um, until the end. And that was not the impression I was left with. Um, and then just about the consultants, I, I just want to commend every consultant who does the ethical thing, every government contractor who does the ethical thing. I made the choices that I made about not doing business with the state 
because it's so hard to find those lines where you can actually say, number one, I'm doing things in a way that is ethical, but number two, that the state's capacity can be built in my absence. And so I don't think that everybody's corrupt, um, but I certainly also do think that there's something about the state being able to build its capacity and making sure the people who are paid in the state for the jobs that they're doing actually do them. All right. Thank you so much, Tessa, uh, for staying with us as long as you have. Thank you to all of the listeners that have uh, called in this morning and taken up the opportunity to actually engage her further. And, yeah, we've been very fortunate today because uh, she was able to accommodate that request. I appreciate um, the conversation and the debate that we have had on the show uh, today. So uh, maybe let's do this. We're going to continue then the show this morning uh, with this conversation, and we're going to be taking a look at the EFF calling for tighter laws. This is to deal with gender-based violence. That's coming up in a bit.